I want to paraphrase Mark Anthony when he spoke at the funeral of his friend Julius Caesar, who had died under circuitous circumstances. Mark Anthony said, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm not here to praise Caesar. I'm here to bury him. My paraphrase is, I'm not here to bury the pastor. As Frank said, probably he could be. But I'm here to praise him. To recognize and acknowledge the very simple fact that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he said to Peter, it's the faith that you have demonstrated. That is the reason I can say that. I'm not building my church on you, Peter, as the Roman Catholics would hope we would believe. But I'm building my church on the faith that sustains. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Doesn't matter what else you say. Doesn't matter what else you think. Doesn't matter what else you do. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It isn't hard. It isn't difficult. It's impossible. I want to read three scriptures. The first is one of my favorites. The second is one of Phil's favorites. And the third is what we stand on. Forty-five years and counting. Forty-five years and counting. This is a line that is drawn in the sand of time. This is a line that is drawn in the sand of eternity. But people come and go, but church in a very strategic time in the life of Isaiah and the children of Israel God said do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old now I say that for an attention getter it is not to say we do not have a past we do all the way back to Holy Ghost Hall. But it was evident when Edwin asked you to stand, ain't many Holy Ghost haulers here today. It had its place. It had its time. It has its season. But it's in the past. Forget those things. Listen to what he says. Behold, I will do a new thing. 
All of our lives are characterized, whether we acknowledge it, think a lot about it or not, by mountains and valleys. All through my spiritual Christian life, I have wanted those mountaintop experiences where that you get to a place in your life that God becomes more real than perhaps he's been before. Or he renews and restores himself to us. And so the mountain is a time of inspiration. It's a time to get your spiritual batteries charged. It's a time to fellowship with God in a unique and distinct way. But every mountain has a valley. And you come out of the valley to get to the mountain, and you leave the mountain to go down into the valley. That's life. In every expression that we have. Moses went up to the mountain. It's an interesting thing. You read carefully in the scripture, without exception, either by statement or implication. When there is this meeting of man and God, God comes down, man comes up, and they meet at the mountain. And God said to Moses, come up to the mountain. And when he went to the mountain, he was given the words of life and instruction and direction and guidance and God's plan and God's will and God's way. And in that experience, God says, go down and give it to the people. I asked the pastor, how did Valley Bible get its name? And he said, well, we're in the valley. And I wanted it to be a Bible church. The valley is where the people are. That's where the hurting is. That's where the lost struggle. That's where those who are injured and hurt and abused live. Mountains, God be praised. But the valley is where the work is to be done. And so Moses went. And Moses came. God said to Abraham, go up to the mountain and sacrifice your son. And Abraham put together everything that needed to be done. It was interesting to me that Abraham was doing the work of getting all of the accruements and things, and the servants were there. But he and the servants and Isaac went, and they came to the base of the mountain. The servants were to stay, and Isaac and Abraham went to the top of the mountain, and on the way up, Young Isaac said, Daddy, 
I see the fire. I see the wood. I see the stones for the altar. Where's the sacrifice? Eight verse seven said, son, don't worry. God will provide. And so when they got to the mountains and they built the altar and they put the wood and they struck the fire and he took the knife and raised it to be obedient to God, God said, wait. And behind him there was the substitute sacrifice. And the Bible says Abraham and Isaac went down to the servants and to the work. Jesus, on one occasion, took Peter, James, John up the mountain. And they got to the top. Can you imagine what that was like, just the three of them being there with Jesus? And all of a sudden, this triune experience was interrupted by a bright light, and there was Moses, and there was Elijah, and Jesus' attention was turned to them, and they talked. When they had finished their conversation, Peter said, Oh, Lord. What a mountaintop experience. We've been with Jesus, and we've seen Moses, and we've seen Elijah. Lord, let's build three tabernacles, and let's just camp out here and stay. And in essence, Jesus said, no, as good as it's been, the work's in the valley. The work's in the valley. And so they came down off of the mountain, and there was the dad struggling with himself and the disciples struggling with the fact that they could not heal his son. See? Bring down from the mountain whatever it is that is necessary for the people in the valley mountains and valleys. The work of God has never moved without a leader and without a man. Even when God became a man himself and inhabited the earth in the form of a man, Jesus, the work that was done was done by those that he called. And he went back and left them here. And the work of God has never moved without a call. Moses was tending the sheep, walking around probably wondering, what in the world am I still doing here 40 years? And all of a sudden, he saw over to the side a burning bush. That probably wasn't a strange sight to him because it was not unusual, nor today, back then for lightning to strike or for the heat to be so intense 
that the dry brambles and brushes would catch on fire, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes ignited by lightning or other things. So to see a bush burning was not much, but to see a bush burning and not be consumed and burned up, that was something. And he said, I'm going to turn aside and see what's going on here. And he got close, and God said, stop. Where you're standing is holy ground. God spoke into the heart and the mind of Moses to do his work and his will and his way. That's the way God calls some people. Young Samuel had been born as a result of the prayers of his mother and as a result of his birth to her prayers, her dedication was, I'm going to give him back to God and took him to Eli and said, God blessed me with a son after I had prayed, but I'm giving him back to God. And so young Samuel became the intern, as it were, to Eli. One day, Samuel went to sleep. Whether it was a dream or whether it was imagination, we know it was actual fact. He heard somebody say, Samuel, Samuel. Johnny on the spot, he jumps up and he runs into Eli because this is the way things had happened, were supposed to happen as his being his servant. Yes, sir, I heard you call. Eli said, I didn't call you, Samuel. Go back to sleep. And he did, and it was repeated. And he went back the third time. Eli said to him, son, the next time you hear what you just said, this is what you say. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. My Hebrew teacher, in a profound statement one day, said, the actual literal translation of that phrase is, speak, Lord, your little boy wants to know what you say. God does not always call like he called Moses. Sometimes he uses others, pastor, to speak into our hearts and our minds. And when he does and they do, we are, as Samuel to say, okay, Lord, you didn't talk to me direct, but I know it's you. Speak. Your little boy's listening. God always calls his people. Isaiah had finished his priestly duties, getting ready, as it were, to wrap things up. And all of a sudden, the temple was flooded with the presence of God and cherubim, seraphim flying around, everything happening, and things settled down. And when they did, Isaiah heard the voice, whom shall I send 
And who will go for us? Isn't that a strange call? God didn't say, Isaiah, I got my hand on you. I've been watching you all these years to see how you work. I'm impressed with your resume. I like the way you deal with ministry. I like the way you handle people. God just said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Now that's a call. God never uses a man effectively that he does not call. One day, Paul was on the Damascus Road. God invaded that presence in such a way that everybody but Paul was smitten. And Paul said, Who are you? And Jesus said, I'm the Lord that you're persecuting. Why do you persecute me? And the end result was Paul on his knees and his face saying, Lord, here I am in essence. Take me. Forty-five years and counting. Now, the scripture I didn't read to you of the three says very simply, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or taken hold of in finality. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this same mind. Sometimes we stop that statement too soon. It was not just to Paul and about Paul, but as many of us are as are mature, we need to have this same mind. Pressing on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forty-five years and counting. Praise God for the past. But Lord, show us the future. Help us take the mountain. Let us be faithful in what we are doing. How did it begin? If you'd been where I was a while ago, 
I said to my wife, I said, I think I'm out of place. I don't think I need to be here. Bill gets up and begins. And so I reach down and I scratch out part of my sermon. Deborah gets up and continues and I X out part of my sermon. <laughs> Larry gets up and I start to get up and say, give me that microphone. <laughs> Larry gets up and I put two X's <laughs> in my sermon. Then the pastor gets up and I said to myself, he asked me to preach and somebody gave them my folder when I was not around and they're preaching my sermon. <laughs> and there he goes. You know how he was saved. I was going to tell you that. You know how he was called. I was going to tell you that. You had reference to, but I'm going to elaborate. In Fresno, sitting at the desk or table, Carolyn at work, pregnant with Rebecca, Deborah running around like a rug rat, two-year-old. <laughs> Bill wasn't praying. Bill was studying his Greek. Fact, I just want to make sure that I didn't misunderstand. Nothing wrong with studying Greek, nothing wrong with praying. Each has its place. Having taken Greek, sometimes Greek is a close <laughs> parallel to prayer. <laughs> you pray and then study, and then pray for the test. That's a Messiah. That's when God begins to impress his heart and his mind. Had the opportunity to go to a church in Visalia, I believe that's what you said to me. Had been praying about that and thinking about that. And God laid the hammer down and said, Go back to Richmond. Go back to the valley. That's where the people are. That's where I want you. And so Carolyn comes in playing off Phil's explanation, as I understand it. She was not overly excited when he gave her the news. In fact, I think it elicited a tear or two. In fact, I don't think they talked much about it later in the evening. Next morning... Life as usual. Carolyn goes to work. Bill does his thing. And in the afternoon, Carolyn comes home and says very simply, let's go. God has spoken. He's given me peace. Peace that passes understanding. Eliminated the fear that I had of not having a home 
eliminating the fear that I had of not having a place to have a baby. Let's go. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Stand up, Ann. This is my bride of 61 years. Other than, other than my salvation, no blessing has ever come into my life like her. God's gift to an unworthy man, but a servant of God, a helpmeet in the fullest sense. Let's go, she said. And so, here they came. Holy Ghost Hall, a school. Where else are you telling me? The theater. And in 1989, building across the parking lot. Hey, by the way, I came in at 89. That means that I've been here 27 of your 45 years. I'm almost a voting member. Then, this building in 2001. But you know, a church doesn't have to have a building, whether it's Holy Ghost Hall with all of its deficiencies, or whether it's a magnificent structure like this, to be the church. You see, it's not what's inside the building structurally are accruedments to who sits in the pews. You see, that's the church. Valley Bible Church on that sign is not fully true because Valley Bible Church is not on this plot of ground. Valley Bible Church is in Richmond and Parole and Hercules and Venetia and Vallejo and Martinez and wherever you want to look, that's where the church is. That's where the church is. That's where the church is. Souls saved. Lives changed. And a Brother Frank Griffith, representative of others that have gone out from this place to be used of God to establish preaching stations. As wonderful as it was here to be here, but if all the five or six or ten who had been here stayed, look at the dearth and the drought and the lack that would be spread out with these mentored preachers of the Word. That's Valley Bible. Forty-five years and counting. Rejoicing in, celebrating, 
being excited by and stimulated and motivated, forgetting what is behind. If you are not careful, you can let your past rob you of your future. Looking over into God's tomorrow. Shannon, the receptionist here, and I got into a little humorous debate. We were talking about something happening tomorrow, and I said, Shannon, there is no tomorrow. And she laughingly said, hmm. I said, no, there is no tomorrow. Today is the tomorrow you waited for yesterday. When you woke up this morning, it was not tomorrow. It was today. And so, the Scripture says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And wherever we have come from, this is where we're going for, forward from. Well, Deborah's got a clock back here, and I've got to... Let me make two or three statements, and I'm finished. If you, the church, continue to be obedient and faithful, your best days are ahead, not behind. Holy Ghost Hall will be a memory that you'll cherish till you die. But it is just a memory because you don't know what's over the hill except the promised land. The Lord says, I know the thoughts I have about you. Not to hurt you or destroy you. My thoughts are to give you peace and a future and hope. The last sermon that Martin Luther King preached, he ended that sermon by saying, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what the future holds. But I've been to the mountaintop. God has allowed me to go to the mountain." and look over into the future. And I may not go with you, but some of you are going. And you're going to discover what God has. And that's okay, he said. That's okay. Because I have been to the mountain. God graciously has let me see what's out there and all I want to do is to please God and all I want to do is to bring glory to God all I want to do 
is to be obedient to God. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice. We've answered the questions. We've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out. Songs of victory swell for the church triumphant is alive and well. To God be the glory, 45 years and counting.